and welcome to another edition of the Standing Room Only Podcast. Yes, I am Ben Standing, and I cover the Washington football team for The Athletic, which today meant I got to watch the Washington football team. Yes, media attended day one of OTAs out in Ashburn. Ryan Fitzpatrick, Curtis Samuel, William Jackson, Jamin Davis, all of them were there. There were some notables that were not. We'll talk about that in a second. And as well as some other thoughts, well, what I saw out there specifically on Ryan Fitzpatrick and Landon Collins. Uh, we'll get to all that and more here in just a moment. Uh, in addition to that, today's guest, my colleague with The Athletic, Robert Mays. Uh, Robert Mays wrote a story the other day about teams that improved the most in the NFL. And I can just spoil it for you now. He said, number one, the Washington football team. So I asked him why. Um, and we had a fun conversation so we'll get to that in just a moment as well here on the Standard Room Only podcast, which, of course, you can subscribe to, hopefully you do, on iTunes or Spotify. If you're an iTunes person, say it all the time. I mean it all the time. Really, really appreciate you checking out. Or, sorry, I really appreciate you leaving ratings and reviews. They definitely help a lot if you haven't uh, had a chance to do that. Um, greatly appreciate it if you would. Um in addition, of course, you can subscribe to my work on The Athletic. I did write a story today off of OTAs, uh, observations, and and more uh, off of uh, off of everything that was happening out there. And, of course, if you missed it, uh, I think since I spoke with you guys, I wrote sort of a OTA preview, which, you know, covers there's, covers not just today, but, but the rest of these sessions and, honestly, into minicamp as well. Um, so, you know, there we st- well, there'll still be five more live sessions that the media gets to watch between now and June 17th. Uh, I also did a, wrote a Deami Brown profile, so you can check all that out on The Athletic. And of course, if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at Ben Standing. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the OTAs uh, today. Uh, 8.30 in the morning. I'm not a morning person, so that's what time they started. Uh, come on, Ron Rivera, what are you doing? Uh, <laughs> uh, so so, so that, that, that happened, and look, you know, these OTA sessions, I, sometimes I, I don't want to downplay everything. Oh, this isn't a big deal. That's not a big deal. But, I, you know, I know how these things can go, right? Anything that we're all tweeting about or writing about or talking about can get um, overanalyzed and overthought because this is all we have right now, right? This is the first time that these players, the 2021 Washington football team, have been together. The rookies were together, but that was 16 players. This was, um, well... They have 89 on the roster. They actually now have 90 because they signed tight end Ricky Seals-Jones after practice. Um, one spot left. Um, they had the extra spot because they have the international player, David Bada, the defensive lineman, on the team. Um, but in any event, so, you know, I will do my best to emphasize what I think is important, what is just interesting, to use the Ron Rivera phrasing. Um, but I guess that's the start. Let's start with... Who wasn't there? Um, you know, we knew, you know, in most years, obviously, with these o- OTA sessions, which are voluntary, the term voluntary is borderline nonsense, right? Everybody kind of feels you have to show up for these things. Um, you know, the teams can have a lot of power if you don't. So unless you're a, 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 a grizzled vet like a Trent Williams, who in the past has, has missed some of these things, it's really hard to not show up. But it's a little bit different this year. Um there were, of course, no OTAs last year because of the pandemic. Now, the pandemic is 
still with us in the, in a, in a, in a, in certain ways for sure. Even though things are getting back to some sort of normalcy, or at least headed in that direction. Um, but the NFLPA has also sort of, I don't want to use the word exploit because that would be a bit much, but I think they've pointed out to their members, hey, these things are voluntary and there is still a pandemic. And if you don't want to go, maybe don't go. And there were like, uh, I think roughly 21 teams that issued some sort of a statement uh, either through the NFLPA or there was indications that they weren't going to have, players weren't going to show. But I think by and large, most players did show. I haven't seen the count around the league, but I, I, that's my general sense is that most teams ultimately did show. And for Washington, that was true as well. 86 players were there. But that's still, um, well, uh, technically 85 were there. Four were missing. One was Steven Sims, who was had an excused absence. He'll be back Thursday, I was told. Charles Leno, the newly acquired left tackle, not there. He only signed recently, and right about the time he signed, he and his wife had their second child. So I'm presuming he wasn't there because of that. And then there's Chase Young and Montez Sweat. Neither one of them attended today. Now, um, I was told that they will be, quote, in and out of, um, in and out, end quote, <laughs> uh, of, of these sessions. I don't know why. It's kind of interesting, for sure. Uh, they are, um, obviously, you know, when you think about this team right now, you know, they are the cornerstone among the cornerstone pieces. Certainly, Chase Young you know, is borderlining on face of the franchise status. I say borderline because it's only been one year, but clearly he's headed in that general direction and defensive rookie of the year and so on. And they weren't there. And look, Ron Rivera did not make a stink about it at all. He's emphasized over and over again that these practices are voluntary, which they are. And if they want to exercise that right, kudos on them. But like I said, everybody else showed up. Um, William Jackson was asked about it, and he said basically there was, a, there was a group text chat going on over time, and the players just decided they want to go and get better. And, you know, I get it, right? I mean, as I wrote, you guys heard when Tressway was on this podcast, and he and I talked about this, and he just said, hey, I think guys just want to go play ball. The, the, the guys are also pumped up by Rivera, and they believe in, in what he's preaching, and they want to go play. So I, I get it. And look, these are non-contact things. I'm not saying you can't get hurt. Obviously, we, we know about Reuben Foster. Uh, that happened to him on day one a couple years ago. Um, basically, at this point, it may have ended his career. Um, but, you know, whatever. It, it, it's notable that guys like that are out. Like, right now in Green Bay, obviously, there's all this focus on Aaron Rodgers. And part of, you know, that he didn't go to OTAs, and part of the story there is this was the first time he missed OTAs. Aaron Rodgers, right? I mean, you can't get a bigger, be a bigger deal in this league than that guy. And he's chosen to show up over and over again. So, um you know, like I said, it's not, I'm not going to call this, we'll call this more interesting than important for now until proven otherwise. We'll see if they're back out. I think June 2nd is the next uh, OTA session. And then there's another quick one after that. And then June 15th to the 17th is the mini camp. Um, and um, I will just note that, you know, we, we, when we talk about this roster, like what's missing, right? They, they did, a, they, they added a lot of, they filled a lot of holes, whether they were the right fill, Phil's, we'll see. But, you know, quarterback in Fitzpatrick, uh, a cornerback in William Jackson. They just signed a free safety in Bobby McCain. They, uh, Charles Leno now at, at, at left tackle. They draft a linebacker in Jamin Davis and so on and so on. Um, but the reserve pass rushers, 
still still a hole and to that end today without the without sweat and young out there you had seventh round draft pick william bradley king and seldom use reserve casey Tuhill in the starting defensive line spots next to john allen and, and matt ionitis uh i say starting deron Payne was there just wasn't in the 11 on 11 drills for whatever the reason and um yeah and so um that's noticeable on that front, but again, curious that those guys weren't there. We'll see what happens going uh, forward. Somebody who was there, Brandon Scherf. You know, if you had said to me five, you know, four guys are out, who's missing? If I just had to guess, yeah, I might think Brandon Scherf. I, I mean, look, he's getting eighteen million dollars this year. <laughs> I mean, so that's a good position to be in. But you know, if you believe that the two sides are looking to negotiate a longer-term deal, then you might think to yourself, well, shouldn't he want to wait? But he could get hurt. That could then mess things up. Of course, I don't really know if he really wants to negotiate a long-term deal. We have no sign of movement on that situation. And, you know, once they gave him the franchise tag, we've discussed this before, it seemed that the odds of of, of signing a longer-term deal kind of went out the window or at least dropped a lot. So maybe on some level, Brandon Sheriff's actions are of a guy who's not focusing on a long-term deal and he wants to play this year. And look, he's never been anything but an exemplary player once inside you know the lines right and, and in the locker room and ron rivera said he was really happy to see sheriff that he's important for this team but at the same time you know um he um you know he, he he's got this cloud hanging over him with the contract he's got till july 15th or he plays on the tag a second year if he plays on the tag a second year he's likely playing somewhere else in 2022 because there won't be a third tag you guys get that. So uh, interesting. But look, he was there. Kudos to him and everybody for that. And look, it's important right now because, you know, look at that, that right side of the line. No Morgan Moses. And to that end, without Charles Leno today, the again, this is more interesting than important. But the first, um, the, 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 the starting offensive line, you had Chase Rui at center and you had Brandon Scherf at right guard. Other than that, we weren't quite sure what to make of it. So what it looked like today was this. You had Cornelius Lucas at right tackle. You had Wes Schweitzer at left guard. And you had Sadiq Charles at left tackle, which was interesting, right? I mean, Sadiq Charles was in the left tackle mix a year ago. And then uh, got you know had the cap injury before the season even started. Then suffered the dislocated kneecap. Um, what was that? Week, uh, week six uh, after two plays. Um, and, you know, was he going to play guard? Was he going to play tackle? Rivera left it open to possibly playing both, but today he's played some at, at left tackle. If you're wondering where Sam Cosme was, he did play some left tackle as well coming off the bench. I'm honestly not sure if he was playing on the right side at all. That's where we think we're all assuming he would be. So I would imagine he did. I, you know, you can't watch everything at all times out there. Depending on what angle you have, you can't really see some certain parts of the line. But in any event, that's how they that's how they lined up there. Um, in terms of the left guard, I would imagine Eric Flowers and Schweitzer will be in a battle going forward. And perhaps Charles is in that mix um, as well. Uh, let's talk about the quarterbacks really quickly. Um, Kyle Allen was out there. I definitely did not think he'd be out there. I really thought we wouldn't see him till training camp, uh, coming off of his dislocated uh, ankle. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I, this wasn't the same drama as watching Alex Smith come back, obviously, but it was notable. And, like, you know, I mean, he wasn't doing, like, flat-out sprints or anything, but he seemed to be moving okay. They wouldn't have put him out there, presumably, if he wasn't, you know, cleared to go. And uh, 
you know, it's, it's interesting that he's back out there. I wrote in my OTA preview that this is a big, you know, one of the guys to watch is Taylor Heineke because in part he would have a chance to sort of get a head start on Kyle Allen and that didn't necessarily happen. Now Heineke, uh, but, but that don't mean because Heineke was poor. He was the number two quarterback today. Uh, he made some good throws. He had a fun sort of Pat Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes sidearm. He should kind of throw when a defender was coming down on him. He had a, a 50-yard pass to De'Ami Brown who made a contested catch um, down the field. So that'll be interesting to, to watch for sure. Um, again, uh, you've heard my stance for a long time. Ryan Fitzpatrick will be the starting quarterback, barring the unforeseen, which is mostly injury. Um, I don't think there's too much of a debate on that. And, you know, obviously we talk about Fitzpatrick as this, you know, the gunslinger, Fitzmagic, all the all the intrigue he brings is because this was an offense a year ago that had very little pop in it, uh, a lot of mostly underneath throws and, and trying to be as creative as possible to mask the inefficiencies. But with Fitzpatrick, you're going to be, or I should say deficiencies. Um, but with Fitzpatrick, you'll be able to open it up, be aggressive down the field, and that'll be exciting. He had a really nice over-the-shoulder throw to Cam Sims. Um, but uh, what I wanted to sort of start here with, and I'll, I'm going to throw in some audio from the day over the Zoom calls, um, Bobby McCain, the new uh, free safety, uh, decent chance he'll be the starter. He played with Fitzpatrick last year, so he was asked by my athletic colleague David Aldridge just to give us a little clue about what he thinks of Fitzpatrick. Here is Bobby McCain. Oh, Fitz, man. Fitz is a good guy, man. He's my guy. Um, you know, Fitz is always going to bring the energy. He's always going to come and play and practice. And, and uh, he's always looking to get better. And uh, even though it's his 16th, 17th year, I believe, you know, he, he works as if it's his rookie year and comes in and he just he, he gets it done. Um, Bobby, just to follow up on that, when, when David just asked you about Ryan, you kind of got like a smile on your face. What is it about Ryan Fitzpatrick that seems to seems to get it? People uh, happy, excited about him. What is it about him as a as a player, or more 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 important perhaps as a person? Uh, just the guy he is, just the man he is. Uh, you know he's a family man. Uh, kind of has to be with all his kids, but I know he's a family man. And, uh, uh, you know, he's just a great person to be around, man. He's not, he's not going to be the buzzkill. Um, he's going to be a guy that's looking to get better. He's going to make the guys around him better. And uh, that's all you can ask for. for that. Um, and, and I'll just note that McCain, you know, as I said, he really, you know, he, he said it with a smile. And you can just tell that there's – this is the thing I think with Fitzpatrick. He and Alex Smith have a lot of these same leadership intangibles and qualities. And it's just that, like I've used the term before, that he is basically the funhouse version of Alex Smith, the guy who is – nobody's ever accused Ryan Fitzpatrick of being a, being a game manager, right? It's the exact opposite. But you have a lot of the same qualities that that, that help rally teammates. And, and, and Rivera said as much today as well that he could already start to see guys sort of, you know, sort of taking note of what Fitzpatrick is doing and buying in. And Fitzpatrick, I wrote about this in my observations, talked about the idea that it's important for him to be out there now – just to get to know the guys and maybe as important for them to get to know him, that he, how he takes command of a huddle, um, how he looks them in the eye, you know, barks out plays with confidence, things like that. And, you know, all that is in, important as well as is getting to know your receivers. So here's a little from Ryan Fitzpatrick on getting the timing going with his receivers. Everybody's a little bit different in terms of, uh, you know, the way receivers run routes and expect the ball and the way that quarterbacks 
you know, or throwing balls. And so part of it is putting it, for me at least at this point, I'm going to put it in the spot where I think it needs to be. And that's going to result early on in some incompletions. And then we can sit and talk about the expectations, why I threw it where I did. The one to Sims today was nice and that he reacted to that. I don't know if he's ever had that ball thrown to him. Um, you know, with that trajectory on the back shoulder like that, but he reacted to it and went and got the ball. And um, those are the type of things that we continue through this process. Other guys are going to see, and we're all going to be able to learn from each other. All right, and um, let me just sort of move on from there to sort of the other interesting uh, item of the day. I thought, I mean, again, there were some, there were several interesting things. But uh, Landon Collins was out there. Now he didn't do that much. He was on the field with the players. Um, you know, some some very minor drills, but he was out there, and most interestingly, he was out there on 11 on 11s, but playing like 40 yards behind the play because he wasn't in the play. But he was mimicking the play. He was trying to stay involved. He said he was he was trying to you know train his eyes again, retrain his eyes to what to watch. He was helping bark out signals and calls to the different players out there. By the way, Troy Apke was playing some cornerback. Um, today so that's interesting um but in any event so landon collins was out there now of course the landon collins factor is one of the most interesting storylines of the off of of, of uh this offseason going forward here because you've got cam curl who had a really heck of a rookie season they both play strong safety how do you work that out before the before collins suffered his achilles tear they were using uh cam curl as his buffalo or big nickel and you know i, I would imagine that may be what happens again but we, you know, how Collins returns from his his uh, his injury is, is a big question. Obviously, it's a significant injury. Uh, a modern medicine. I'm kind of assuming he'll be okay. But you know, look, he wasn't playing. Let's be real. He wasn't playing to the level of expectation, you know, since he had arrived, and in particular early last year. So we'll just have to see how he does. But he was asked today a couple of things. He was asked about the fact that you know, what did he think of those rumors that he might get moved to linebacker, and then also about the cam curl factor. What did he think of that? So let me just play for this in a row. It's sort of three different answers in a row, starting with what does he think about the linebacker rumor? And then what does he think about the fact that, uh, you know, cam curl, you know, what, what, you know, what happens with cam curl and maybe what happens with him because of cam curl. So here's some Landon Collins from today's OTA zoom sessions. I was just laughing at it. Uh, my job is I was drafted as a safety, um, and that's whatever, that's whatever I was going to be. If they, somebody was to come talk to me about it, we'll talk about it. That's about it. But if we have packages they want to put me into playing, I'm always open to it. Because, I mean, I'd rather have all those DBs on the field anyway, you know? The more DBs, the more merit. <laughs> yeah. there's, there's a lot of knowledge on the field now. The more knowledge we have on the field, the better we play, the better we play. It's a cohesive defense and knowing how, what's supposed to happen. And then, like I said, if one person goes down, you're not missing a beat. You know what I mean? So that's, that's the best part about it. Do you ever do? Do you sit back and wonder when you see a guy like Curl play like that? Hey, where do I fit in with everything? <laughs> no, sir. Honestly, uh, I'm just happy that he played the way he played. He's uh, been playing excellent. Uh, he stepped into position very well, and man, I'm I'm proud of him. I'm proud of him because I'm, uh, you know, what I'm saying I'm getting older. Uh, he's the younger guy. The more he learns from me, the more we learn from each other. The better we are as a defense, and the better we get to the, 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 the championship. All right, so um, so that's that. Now, um, you know, as I said, I wrote about some other things on on the site. You can check that out. 
Um, you know, I don't think I even mentioned we got to, to Sambas Reyes. Again, they signed Ricky Seal. Or did I say that here? I don't know. I think I did, right? They signed Ricky Seals-Jones today, a guy who's been around with a couple different spots, Arizona, Kansas City, I think Cleveland as well. Um, look, he's more depth. If you told me he's cut during training camp or he makes a team at this point, I, nothing would really surprise me because after Logan Thomas and John Bates, the fourth-round pick, uh, you know, I don't. there's a lot of guys who you could point, you could just throw a dart at and say they're going to make it. I wouldn't think it's crazy. Obviously, Samus Reyes gets a lot of attention. He had a nice catch down the seam today. He also had some plays where you'd be like, oh, yeah, that's right. This guy has never played football before. But that's okay. It's going to be part of the process. So we'll see how he goes. In any event, a new tight end is in the mix. There's still one roster spot available. But my guess is that one roster spot, no matter what they did with it, uh, won't change the perception of their offseason, which, according to my next guess, was really, really, really good. So let's get to that, uh, talking to my colleague, Robert Mays, The Athletic, here on the Standing Room Only podcast. All right, so we'll, we're going to keep talking about the Washington football team as we do. Now, obviously, we typically uh, talk about them in isolation. It's one thing to say we think they had a good offseason, but it's another thing to view it in the context of the rest of the league. Um, I'm not necessarily taking my time to look at all 31 teams. That's why I brought in somebody who's done just that, came, did the math, and determined – who he thinks had the best off seasons. It is uh, Robert Mays, of course, my colleague at the athletic and host of the athletic football show podcast. And Robert, you didn't, you don't just talk. You're not just a pretty face. You also write. And you wrote for you, the five teams that were most improved. And we're talking because uh, the, the, I, I guess, I guess I can't do anything but spoil this. The team that's number one, this team, the football team, how, how did we come to that conclusion? I think that the biggest jump you can make, any team can make, is from the worst quarterback play imaginable to, to, to tolerable quarterback play. And I don't even mean to say that as a way to take a shot at Alex Smith or Dwayne Haskins or anything like that. But when you look at the numbers, this team was dead last in offensive DVOA last season. Dead last by a lot, especially on the passing side. If you look at just the quarterback numbers individually, I want to say that Smith and Haskins ranked 36th and 37th out of 38 qualified quarterbacks and expected points added per dropback. No matter how you slice it, they were the worst passing offense in the NFL last season. I know Ryan Fitzpatrick is not a long-term answer. I know he's not a guy you can build around for the next five years, but this is a guy who has played clearly above average football in his last couple stints as a starter. And to bring him in, even if they're average on offense, even if they go from 32nd to 16th, that is such a huge difference. And what a guy like that, does for the rest of your offense, it's almost impossible to overstate. Like he gives Terry McLaurin a chance. It, it transforms what you can do for everybody else. Antonio Gibson looks a lot different in an offense with Ryan Fitzpatrick compared to what they had last year. And that jump is just so, so big to me. And is there a chance that Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson and guys like that are going to give teams like the Jags and the Jets even bigger jumps? Absolutely. But rookies are always a projection. Rookies at most positions never give you as much as you probably think they will. And that's why when I did this list, for me, it was about veteran additions more than it was about draft capital. And to bring in a starting quality left tackle in Charles Lama, to bring in a starting quality quarterback in Ryan Fitzpatrick, to go get somebody like Curtis Samuel to give yourself another dimension on offense, and to go get someone like William Jackson, 
who in my opinion is a number one corner, allows them to play a little bit more man coverage. I just think they have the surest bets in what they've added this offseason compared to any of the other teams that could be in the running for something like this. Yeah, I mean, I I, I keep waiting to disagree with something they have done this offseason, but I kind of just keep finding myself naughty along, not even just in terms of the individual players. And you never know how a player will work in a new city, a new team, a new system, but just even to the, the, the cost, they didn't really overspend, I don't think, on anybody in particular. They kind of waited at the market, Charles Leno being sort of a more obvious example of that in the secondary market. Um, but yeah, the quarterback thing is so true. I mean, last year with Dwayne Haskins, it, you could, it felt like, you know, you're playing a, a, an elementary school type of offense. You know, you, you were doing very basic things to try to help him along. And when Alex Smith got out there, you could see them, Scott Turner being more aggressive with some of his choices. And even then, you're dealing with a quarterback who was coming off with a catastrophic leg injury that nobody thought would ever play again. And now we have sort of the funhouse version of Alex Smith, same type of locker room leader, but a guy who's going to throw the ball all over the place. And yeah, I mean, even if it's just, even if there's the Fitzpatrick ups and downs that, that, that we've come to know a bit, the ups will be significantly more than any of the ups they had. And if the defense does take just even incremental steps based on just the younger guys improving and, and, you know, some other additions that, that should, I agree, should go a long way towards, um, towards this, uh, towards this change. I honestly think the defense could be worse this year just by virtue of math and luck and all of those things. And that's not, that has nothing to do with the players. I mean, I think that the front four is still going to be really good. Yeah, that Chase Young could absolutely be a better player next year. I assume he will be than he was as a rookie. And this team could be the seventh best defense in the league instead of the fourth best defense in the league. But that's why that monumental jump on offense is so important. Because if you go from the seventh best or the fourth best to the seventh or eighth best, you're still a top 10 unit. Going from putrid to average on offense you still come out in a positive way. That trade-off is still taking you forward. And that to me is going to be the story of this team is even if you come back to earth a tiny bit defensively, which happens, that has nothing to do with the quality of the players. I still think there'll be so much better on offense that this team will be better in 2021 than they were last season and maybe a lot better. Yeah, I mean, like last year, the defense, while statistically obviously was ranked top five, top 10 in a lot of ways, I didn't always feel that they were that good. Now the schedule worked out nice for them, but in terms of like a lot of injuries, you know, Dallas is playing their third string quarterback. They get the Niners with, with Nick Mullins, Joe Burrow was doing some good things against them. He gets hurt in the game against Washington and they take advantage of Ryan Finley and, and the Eagles at the last game of the year. They'd already moved on from Carson Wentz and were not trying and things like that. And so things broke their way. Now their schedule is every, every amazing quarterback in the league. They play, they play Mahomes and Rogers. Assuming Rodgers is still Green Bay in consecutive weeks. And then two games after that, they played Tom Brady. And then in between, there's a whole bunch of other Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, and so on. So on the one hand, the schedule from a quarterback perspective is way better. And it almost, for me, on some level feels like this is like, what's the bigger scenario? Are they, is the quarterbacks they're facing so much tougher or is the Fitzpatrick addition so much better that it will, you know, it's even if you're facing tougher opponents, he will, keep pace if not exceed based on like you're saying the bar of where it was a year ago yeah I absolutely think that and I just think that it's a dangerous game to think you're going to get linear improvement from your defense especially it it very rarely works out like that you look at 
Uh, there are tons of examples, but if you look at a defense, you think, oh, that's a, we were a top five defense. We have all these young players. Like we'll just be better than that next year. That's, that doesn't work like that. So I think understanding that and understanding that you have to improve in other areas in order to stave off that regression and in order to stay good, even if you're not going to keep moving forward. And I think that's exactly the types of moves they made this offseason. I could still see them having a really good defense, even if the drop-off happens slightly, because that's just what happens with the randomness of defense sometimes. Um, part of, I think by and large, everybody's pretty optimistic in these parts about where things are going. It's sort of weird because they, they won the division, but they were still seven and nine. You don't typically think seven and nine goes to a Super Bowl, especially when the quarterback upgrade, even if it's better than it was, it's not that you added somebody with, you know, all-star, you know, uh, level type uh, upside. Um, that said, the first place schedule comes with this, and that is incredibly daunting. Obviously, you're, you know, you're playing the tougher teams with this extra game. They get the Bills. That That's a challenge on, on the road. Um, you know, they're going to get Kansas City. Uh, it is a very difficult schedule. So when you talk about the idea that Washington, in your eyes, improved the most of any team in the league, how do you, I mean, it's hard to predict the schedule, of course, but how do you think that translates now that they're also facing this incredibly tough schedule? Again, we injuries happen. We don't know what teams will look like down the line, but how do you think that, that, that they improve the most, but they're going to face such a much tougher schedule? How do you think that sort of uh, balances itself? I, I still haven't figured out the 17 games thing yet. Cause in my mind, I would just say, I think they could be a 10 and 16, even with a tougher schedule. Like I think they're a 10 and six sort of team that no longer exists. So I guess they're, they could be a 10 and seven team. I don't know what the 10 and six equivalent is. I, know, I don't, so I, weird. I'm terrible at math. So I don't, I, that in my mind, I don't know if 11 and six or 11 and, and be 11 and six or 10 and seven is closer to 10 and six, but whatever it is, that's the range I see them in. And there, this is a philosophical question now. Is it better to make these incremental improvements and to be the equivalent of a 10 and 6 team after going 7 and 9 and you see improvement from your young players and you're headed in the right direction, you make the playoffs again, but now who's your quarterback going to be? How do you get that quarterback? And that becomes the question now. I think there is no deny that they have taken a step forward. Whether that's the right direction, I guess it depends on how you see it. Because now they're going to be in that zone, potentially, where the Colts are, where the Bears were, where you're sitting there as a borderline playoff team, but you don't have your quarterback of the future, and you have fewer avenues to go get that guy. I think I come down on the side of just be as good as you can be, and find, you can find the quarterback at some point. I know the Bucks are a really good example of that. They just happen to find the greatest quarterback of all time. That doesn't always happen. Sure. But I think that having a situation where let's say next year you can trade up into the top 10 for somebody, you feel like you're ready to do that. I think having everything else in place and being able to find that guy as the last piece, we've seen that work in the past. That's what the chiefs did. It's what other teams have done. So I'm okay with that route. And it does seem like that's the route that Washington is following right now. And, and so it's interesting, right? You are a, a noted Chicago Bears uh, follower, and they made the move that Washington didn't make, picking one spot behind Washington in the first round. They jump up from 20 to 11 
trade uh, first round pick this year, first round pick next year, plus a couple other picks to the Giants to take Justin Fields, a move that a lot of people around here wish Washington had made. And I, I sort of was of the opinion, look, obviously if the coaching staff, if Ron Rivera and his, his front office thinks Justin Fields is all that and a bag of chips, well, then you go do it, right? Because you think that. But I, I didn't get the sense that they were going to try to force it. They obviously didn't. They technically have three NFL quarterbacks on the roster, but none of them are a long-term so solution and there is something to be said for like you're saying fill in all the gaps and you'll figure out the quarterback next year there there will be a draft in 2022 and the veteran market could be volatile again as we've seen you know who knows what happens with Rodgers Russell Wilson and nobody a year ago would have predicted Carson Wentz and Matthew Stafford necessarily would be out of their at were out of their spots so I get the idea of waiting for sure but I guess since your team that you pay attention to made the move and it's it's a different circumstance Ron Rivera is in a pretty secure spot whereas it feels like with the Bears leadership they kind of need to make a move or they could be in trouble but what do you think about the idea of Washington didn't make that move and that would have solved the long-term problem on paper that they would have had fields I mean they would have to have jumped the Bears would they have been willing to give up a first round pick how much would they have been willing to give up did they even like Justin Fields these are the questions that I think just don't get asked often enough when we're talking about well so-and-so just should have taken the quarterback in the draft did they like the quarterback? Yeah. I, like that, that, that matters when we're talking about this kind of stuff, because even if, if you look at the process and you think, well, Atlanta should have drafted a quarterback if they're going to be rebuilding. Well, if they're often, if Dave Ragone doesn't like Justin Fields or Arthur Smith doesn't like Justin Fields, and now you're partnering a coaching staff with a guy they don't want to coach and they don't believe in, that's a recipe for a disaster like ex quarterback and plugging him into that spot. is just a silly way to talk about this for me. So if they didn't like Justin Fields or Mac Jones, if they thought there was a certain tiering of the quarterbacks and after those guys were gone, again, this is all hypothetical, but this is just, it's just fantasy football. In my opinion, when we're talking about this, like, well, why didn't Washington do this? Well, it was hard to jump the bears who were one pick ahead of them. And were willing to give up a first round pick because like you mentioned, they're desperate. They need an answer here. And I think when it comes down to it, that is the appealing part of the Washington circumstances. They're not desperate. And Ryan Fitzpatrick is a quarterback that allows you to pivot. They are in a spot now. They're committed to a guy for one year, a guy who, in my opinion, is the perfect guy to get competence out of the rest of your offense, but you can move on from when it's time. And the cap is going to go up next year. They have all the draft capital they potentially need to trade a future first round pick and go get somebody. By my knowledge, they haven't made any aggressive trades where they've lost any significant draft capital. So I think they're in a position next year with every single option on the board. You know, they wanted Matthew Stafford. Are they going to be in on the Matthew Stafford type sweepstakes next year that could happen? And I think that they are in a financial and draft capital position to say yes. And that's all that it's necessary. I think that building up the rest of your roster and having the flexibility both financially and with other resources to make the swing when it's time, that's where this Washington team has found itself. And I think that's an okay place to be. And, and I think another variable for Washington is it's sort of odd to say this, I guess, but like Ron Rivera is incredibly popular and he just, yeah. took, he just took a team that, you know, was a, uh, you know, three and 13 before he got here, you know, continually, you know, in the news for all kinds of wrong reasons. And some of those things are still in play, but that's on the ownership side from the football perspective. They've really changed the view. I think from around the league about being competent. And if they do build on top of this, 
why can't they be on Russell Wilson's list next year of, of teams and that type of you know, that, that type of thing. Now, now we don't view Washington as a joke. We view them as a place that people actually want to play because Ron Rivera's um, pretty popular. I think that's a really good point. And I think that is an element of this that people just don't think about enough. You know, Russell Wilson's a specific type of example because he has no trade clause, right? So Russell Wilson gets to choose where he goes. But like Carson Wentz, one of the reasons Carson Wentz ended up in Indianapolis is because Carson Wentz wanted to go to Indianapolis. There are conversations with agents and with the people involved in all of this when player movement on that scale happens. And I don't think a quarterback is going to get traded if that quarterback, at least to some degree, doesn't create contact with that coaching staff and want to go to that place. So if you make yourself an attractive destination, if this Washington offense, even if it's a little sporadic and it goes back and forth, like you mentioned, riding the Fitzpatrick way, if it's fun and it's exciting and that Terry McLaurin, Antonio Gibson, Curtis Samuel combination of things looks like this, the, a group of guys and a skill position set of talent that a quarterback wants to play with, that's a good thing for Washington. And that's what I mean about the pivoting. So to make yourself an attractive destination and be able to go out and chase somebody, I think that's a really good combination of circumstances. Um, obviously, within the context of that they improve the most in the world, the localize it, it's a matter of well, how do they fare against the NFC East teams. On your list, uh, you had honorable mentions along with your top five. The Giants made honorable mention. You kind of took them to task for some of their wild free agent spending, which I don't disagree with, especially doing it as late as they did in the process. It's kind of weird. But uh, but, you, but you said, quote, if the Giants quarterback, obviously meaning Daniel Jones, can take a step forward in 2021, the rest of the roster is ready to compete in the NFC East. Um, I'm kind of looking at it like Washington, Dallas, Giants, depending on how things go with injuries, each team's version of Daniel Jones, whoever that key guy is, steps up, does the thing, you know, Dak Prescott coming back from his injury, Fitzpatrick doing his thing here. Those are the three teams. It feels like to me the Eagles are just somewhere else. But, you know, look, I would have said probably the same thing about Washington a year ago. So we'll see. Um, but my sort of sense is those three teams, and I don't know if it comes down to the schedule or injuries or what have you, but I could sort of Washington, Dallas, maybe a little bit ahead of the Giants. But we'll see. What, what's your sense of not just Washington, therefore, but like how they compete against that division? I think Dallas has a chance to be really good. You know, I it's been such a strange kind of 18 months as with our uh, the people's relationships with the Cowboys, there are really smart people, really smart people that picked the Cowboys to win the NFC last year because they thought the offense could be excellent. And the defense was a disaster over the first month of the season before Dak got hurt, but the defense ended up becoming just bad. So if you had had Dak Prescott on that team, the entire season, what would that have looked like? And we're going to see that this year, Dallas's offense top to bottom, He's really talented and they have more depth and important positions. Now going out and getting a guy like Ty Naseki as their swing tackle to protect themselves from injuries to guys like Tyron Smith and Lyle Collins, the way they weren't last year. If those guys are even healthy for half of the season compared to what they were like last season, it wasn't just Dak Prescott on offense for them last year. Their line was a nightmare. And I understand those guys are aging and you're more open to that kind of thing, but I still think that the Cowboys have the potential to be a top three, top five offense. And if their defense can get to mere competency, that's a potential playoff team. So I think the Cowboys and Washington could be right there back and forth, depending on how a couple of things break. I just think that the quarterback play with the giants is such a question mark. And 
their offensive line is not better than it was two months ago. And it was bad two months ago. I know it's easy to get entranced by the idea of Kenny Galladay and Kadarius Tony and look at their secondary and all this stuff. I still think the line is an issue. They seem to me, I've always compared Daniel Jones and Jameis Winston to each other. I think that stylistically the choices that they make certain aspects of their game remind me of one another. I think Jameis Winston was better than Daniel Jones, but I think the giants are kind of looking at themselves as, all right, we're giving Daniel Jones every chance to succeed. If he fails, we pivot next year and try to go get our version of whatever Tom Brady was. So I still think they're too dependent on Jones, who is about as volatile as it gets to compete with the Washington or Dallas. But I do think Washington and Dallas are probably in the same tier if I was stacking it up. Yeah, I didn't really understand the, the, the Kadarius Tony move in the context of they already had Galladay. They already have other decent receivers. And while he's in pretty good, yeah, you mentioned the offensive line. Like I always view the offensive line as like, uh, remod, you know, like sort of like remodeling your kitchen. If you're going to sell your house, that's the room in the house that's going to bring you back the most value and raise everything else essentially. But other rooms in the house, like a sunroom, won't do the same. And like it feels like Kadarius Tony felt like a little bit of a, uh, yeah, he's good and he could be really good, but like an extra piece that they didn't need this minute. And for if you think Gettleman's on a little bit on the hot seat, then therefore, um, felt like they could have maybe gone somebody for a little more immediate but you know look he's obviously a good player I, I was I was a little surprised I guess at that point the where they ended up Kadarius Tony the outdoor hot tub of draft picks yeah <laughs> uh, Robert I, I definitely appreciate it go read uh, Robert on the athletic go listen to him on the athletic football show podcast anything else I'll probably run this at the beginning of of next week anything else to mention or or, or plug uh before I let you go no I mean we've got uh sorry we we have uh the all the stuff we're doing with the athletic football show we're doing an off-season interview series we had brad holmes on today's show or friday show uh we're going to be doing that weekly throughout the offseason so coaches gms players uh that's going to be a huge part of what we're doing up through training camp so if you guys are into those sorts of in-depth football conversations with people around the league that's what we're going to be doing so come check it out there you go appreciate it man thanks awesome thank you all right. Um, many thanks to Robert Mays. Many thanks to everybody here for checking out the podcast. As always, make sure you subscribe on iTunes or Stitch or Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you do it. And uh, but but I don't know. It seems like iTunes is more interesting for me. I don't know. <laughs> but whatever you, whatever works for you guys, go ahead. Um, and of course, check out my work on the Athletic. Uh, more to come. I hope there'll be another podcast this week. But we'll see how the week goes. Um, we're getting to the point where I'm almost having to take some days off of work by uh, the, 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 the powers that be. So that'll be coming up, but I don't think that'll slow me down with the podcast. So uh, more to come, but for now, Ben Standick signing off until next time. 